Hello everyone, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Alric Purcell. Each week we discuss different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. So yesterday I was shooting a commercial, so today I'm exhausted. Man, it's like the less money you have, the more work you have to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I I wish I was like on a million dollar set, because then I could just really focus on just being a director. But I, I felt like I was being, I was wearing at least three different hats. So I was running around a lot. And so I checked my step counter on my phone at the end of the day and I had like 15,000 steps. Oh, funny. I was like, holy crap, that's a lot. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I was tired. I was so beat last night when I got, when I got done with the shoot and uh, feeling a little tired this morning still. Mm. But uh, we were at a small little market in Knob Hill with a, with a bunch of hidden cameras. We had eight hidden cameras and an actor doing fake transactions um, for real customers. So it was a little nerve-wracking to direct something like that because you it's a, the type of shoot that you don't really have control over. It's not like traditional setups. Right. It's like you're, it's a live event. And so as much planning as I did, it didn't, ha- it didn't unfold the way that I thought it would. I don't think it ever really would in that kind of situation, right? Like you're, you just have no idea what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So you didn't tell the customers beforehand they were being on, ca- they were on camera, right? It was only afterwards. No, only afterwards. How many people refused to be a part of it? A lot. Oh, really? A lot. Oh, no. Yeah, a lot more than I thought. Oh, so no. Part of the day um, was really just trying to figure out how to get people to say yes, and we never really figured it out. So I don't, I don't know how they do it on hidden camera shows. I'm guessing they have people sign paperwork ahead of time, and the paperwork just, you know, based on what why people are there, they're not reading it very carefully. Because I did... Um, some fake focus groups that way where we shot people and they didn't know that we were we were joking with them and they signed paperwork before they came into the focus group and I think they just didn't read it carefully enough. Oh, yeah. So I'm guessing that's how most hidden camera shows are done is that like people come in to do a, a job and they probably fill out paperwork to do that job and part of that paperwork is a release for the video. Mm, that's interesting. So what was it malicious? Is, is that why they didn't want to sign it or what was uh, what was the reason why they wouldn't want to sign? For different reasons. People, I think most people just felt like a little embarrassed that they were on camera and they didn't know they were on camera. Um, you know, it's like a it's a convenience shop so people came in and were just trying to grab a few items so I think that they're in a hurry um, one girl I think just felt like she didn't look good right. one guy was embarrassed because the whole transaction he was, he was looking for his credit card and I think he felt embarrassed by how he was portrayed so I think people kind of replaying the event in their mind were embarrassed for different reasons and just re- didn't want to be a part of it so how many in the end did you get to um, to agree to be on to, to give you the footage I think we probably ended up shooting around 10 real customers and half of them said yes and half of them did not. Oh, well, you know, that's that's better than, you know, if you get five out of 10, that's not bad. I mean, you don't you don't want to be more than 50 percent. But I mean, I don't I don't think that's necessarily realistic, especially, you know, in that kind of situation, you know. Yeah, we got a few people to that didn't sign the release to at least agree to give us their email so we could show them the cut and let them decide afterwards. So at least the door stayed open with a few of those people. Will it work if you could if you can blur their faces for your commercial or will that will that ruin it? Maybe. I think the the creative on the job is convinced that it the blurring's going to work, but I'm skeptical because the whole the whole point of the commercial is to see people's reactions when you tell them that the the prices are so high and if you're blurring their face you're not going to see that so then you're relying on dialogue and as, as we both know as filmmakers that the more you rely on dialogue the weaker things become so um i think you lose a little bit of that visual gag as soon as you start blurring people so we'll see i don't know it, it'll be interesting to see how it's edited uh there's eight cameras wow so there's a lot to a lot of angles to choose from as a director i'm 
not invited into the edit room, oh, so I just wow. have to wait and see how it turns out. That's so different than like anything I ever do that I direct. It's you know, I guess sometimes you're not allowed to be involved in editing, but like the last thing that I shot slash directed for like a corporate client, I ended up I was asked to edit it in the end. So it's just like such a different world, you know, like working on the low budget stuff where to the client it's like better if the person who shot it edits it because it's like oh well you you were there you knew it you you just do it right and but like in your world it's like no 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 we have our own editors stay away <laughs> person who did it you, you don't you don't yeah well, you know. it's funny anytime you talk about a director's edit uh, like i've heard creatives talk about this or even other producers talk about it like if you let the director create an edit they'll always come back to you with something that's like two to three times longer than what you need and try to convince you it's like yeah 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 i know you guys need a 30 second spot but here's a 90 that works really well and you're like okay great that doesn't help us because our client bought 30 second media so i don't know how we're gonna use this 90 but thanks dude all right see you later why would they do that though that seems insane Directors, yeah. Why would if they know the prompt and they know what they're supposed to be delivering? <laughs> why would they ever give anything three times as long as the prompt? Maybe they, because they we all want to. We all want to be filmmakers, and so yeah. secretly we're just trying to make longer things, and we so we make these longer edits in hopes that it can either live on our reel or like the client will figure out a way to use it. I know it's really easy for me to say as someone who doesn't work in commercials and uh, is like just sitting, you know, outside <laughs> just be like, why would you ever do that? Obviously, you know that that's useless. Like, you know, but I mean, I guess as a direct, someone who's, who's never really directed a big budget commercial, like I don't really know what I would be feeling or, or, or all that stuff, but it just, you know, knowing how things work and like, you can't be over a second then like, you know, and yeah. a 90 second thing it's like and that's not always the case too and then sometimes they'll come back with an edit and you just don't like it right and, and part of that's because you know as a director you have a, a very particular vision for how it's supposed to be edited together and like we've talked about before sometimes when you get into the edit room and, and put that together it just doesn't work and you have to start over again so the first edit is usually the what the director's vision was and it I would say mostly doesn't work right 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 like you have to reimagine it so it's like it's kind it's to the director's disadvantage that they usually have the first edit they like work with the editor for like a day or two before the agency walks in the room so the agency walking in the room is seeing the quote-unquote director's edit and it's really just an assembly edit right you know and you know how bad assembly edits are right like, there's no time to refine it i think in europe the directors usually have a lot more time and sit with the edit and really craft it and so probably the perception there is very different but for some reason in the u.s we decided that directors just shoot it and then the agency handles everything huh interesting well you know well hey it makes my job easier i just have to worry about like capturing all the footage and then i can just watch the the product roll in yeah and then freak out when it's not good yeah. no but i i think for the most part like our agency's really good at at putting stuff together and i know that rich silverstein is is one of the is going to be all over this so i'm not too worried i think they'll figure it out nice awesome well congratulations yeah. to the commercial shot Thanks. in the bag uh you know you must in the bag feel pretty good about that that's awesome yeah, I'm just going to spend the day playing a bunch of Tomb Raider. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, I'm probably editing the next week's episode. Oh, sweet. You get a day yeah. off today? That's awesome. Jeez, yeah. what a cool job. Like, you get to direct a commercial, and then, like, the next day <laughs> when you're supposed to go into the office to work, they're like, yeah, take it off. You you earned it, kid. And then you're like, yeah, oh, Tomb Raider and editing podcasts. This is, uh, <laughs> I love my life. Ah, the sweet life of a filmmaker, of a commercial director. Oh, my God, man. It's been a really crazy week. I didn't really talk about it um, with Ronnie just because, you know, we had Ronnie on and didn't really want to, you know, talk about my own shit. But, uh, it's really been like a tough week for me personally because I found out my cat is like really sick. Um, so we took meow meow yeah meow meow. Um, yeah, we took him to the um, to the vet on like Friday last week, and then we got the blood work in on like Sunday. And so the doctor calls me at like Sunday night and is like, "Yeah, he might die." Basically, <laughs> like oh, he's like on death's door, and like you know, it's surprising that he's like you know still 
around like he you know his levels are so bad and then we brought him into the vet and then they gave him like some like iv stuff like some um some water or fluids and then tried to give him some different food and i guess he responded okay but then when he got back on monday night he like ate like a madman he ate like two cans of this new food that we gave him um Mm -hmm. so that was like a super good sign and then he ate the next day too and so basically the doctor like kind of was really shocked and was like, Oh my God, like he's eating a lot. Like, and he's not, he's not sad and he's not acting lethargic or, you know, uh, whatever. He's just like really social and like seems happy and wants to be pet and is like looking around and doing stuff. So she was just saying he's not acting like a cat who's going to die, you know, um, based off of like what she read in his blood work. So they're basically like now really encouraged that, you know, he's, uh, gonna maybe pull out of it and you know live for you know another you know who knows how long but like yeah like they like literally thought he was gonna like they thought if we didn't do anything and we just fed him like normal that he would like die while we were gone in costa rica oh, man. <laughs> it's pretty pretty terrible so where is he right now he's here um he's he's uh he's doing really well he's eating his food um you know twice a day and and like you know wanting to eat more so we're just kind of feeding him more than we normally would just because he the doctor said as much as he'll eat give him give it to him you know uh but the big thing the big challenge is like we're supposed to give him these injections twice a week now that um you know for the next i don't know like month or two and uh you know i'm i'm okay to do it like i'm ready to do it like i i think i could totally do it you know but um asking friends or family to give a cat an injection while you're gone uh i guess i thought in my mind i was like oh they'll do it it's fine like and then i found out that you can't do it by yourself you have to do it with two people and i was like okay we well, yeah, i had two people's fine and then i talked to like four people yesterday and to explain to them what it was and they were like oh man i mean i'll do it if i have to but like i'm really not comfortable yeah. and i was like oh if you're not comfortable i don't want you doing it because a lot of that is like if you're uncomfortable then the cat's going to be uncomfortable and then suddenly yeah. like it's going to go wrong, you know? So luckily the vet does a service where they do it for you. So we've got a family member going to take him in, um, four times while we're gone to get the shot, the, the injection. Um, you know, and I got like my friends, it's funny. They'll like all come by and say hi to him and pet him and, and, you know, give him attention and stuff, but like no one wants to give him the shot. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a, that's a it, medical things are tough with animals. Yeah. If you're not used to it, you're just like, I don't know, man. Yeah. So it was really an emotional week for me and uh, it was really hard. Like Monday and Tuesday are really hard. And then Wednesday I was still feeling um, pretty, pretty down about the whole thing and you know, whatever. So, but I feel better now. And I mean, it's really hard because I was already feeling like nervous about leaving the country just because like, you know, I always get nervous before I go on a vacation just because I'm always like, oh, am I forgetting to do anything? Like, well, right. what work am I? Did I leave the oven on? Yeah. And then like, what work am I missing out <laughs> on? Like, oh, is this, you know, whatever, all these things. And I just get oh, yeah, FOMO. Yeah. Well, like work well, a little bit. I mean, I guess I don't as much anymore. I used to really have it very bad when I was like, um, yeah. when I was first starting out and only a freelancer. <laughs> Cause you just think that like oh, all your clients are going to forget you by the time you get back. But <laughs> I, I know now that that's not the case. And, and for me, especially that's definitely not the case. Cause I have like a very interesting, uh, you know, client base. That's a little bit different than most people. So, um, well, I don't know if that's true. It feels different than a lot of my friends, but I think maybe it, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are just like me out there with the same kind of client relationships, you know? But anyways, the, the, the way I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like, I'm not really worried about that anymore. And, but like, but that, that already existing and then my cat being sick and like worrying about him and right. worrying about like who's going to take care of him, all these other things. Like it really made me like start to like not be excited about my tri- trip that I should be super excited about, you know? Um, but now I, I think I've come around and I mean, we're leaving tomorrow morning and now I'm like super excited. Like I've taken care of everything. I feel very positive. Like I'm not worried about anything. So, um, it's good now, but it was just really tough. And I think when we talked to Ronnie, um, early in the week, I don't know when this is going to come out in relation to Ronnie's episode, but, uh, the episode after. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. It, uh, basically it's, um, you know, I, I was just really not in a good mood. So I just hope I was, uh, I hope uh, it was, a good, I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, but it was a good conversation. You were totally fine. I saw your email. You're asking if you're okay. You're totally fine. Yeah, I just thought I was like maybe a little bit too, um, too serious or I don't know, just like being being too clinical and, and just, I don't know what I was worried no, about. No, you're being very supportive and 
yeah, I think it was we we both went into it with the right attitude. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited to see what he pulls together. And I mean, I'm serious. I will give him my movies. Um, I would love to see if he if he thinks they're um, acceptable for his uh, for his brand and yeah, the type of up thing. To snuff. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the other last thing that I, I'd mentioned, like right before we started recording. Um, mm-hmm. So I I I, I I I think I slept in for a number of reasons. That you know, I was late again to the guys on my po- on the podcast as always. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I got it. So I fi- I'd been working on uh, getting a new score for uh, the Rage done, and I finally gotten a full score from from the composer. And he's a first time like film composer. Like he's never made music for movies before, really. And uh, you know he was really excited, and he put this whole thing together. And I was. I, I don't really know what I think of it. I think I really like it in a lot of ways, and I think it's it's definitely not right in a lot of other ways. But I was like, first, my first reaction was like, it wasn't as good as the samples he sent me. I was like, oh, what? Like you, like you kind of took the samples and and like try to make them bigger and grander. And I was like, ah, but it was good the way it was, you know. But but then I listened to it more and more, and I was like, well, maybe it actually is better this way. <laughs> but then there's yeah. like some other issues that I don't things that I don't like that he tried. Which I mean, totally, we can fix those, you know. But uh. But the thing is, I sent it to, um, you know, the DP, the other producer, and the editor slash sound designer last night. And the email I get from the sound designer this morning at, like, whatever, 6 a.m. was just like, yeah, um, you know, it's interesting to hear a different take, uh, but, you know, I kind of <laughs> I kind of hate it. I just have to be honest. I think I just, I hate it. Um, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's a strong reaction. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't send that to everybody, so I don't think he's going to... I'm glad he didn't because I think when you see I hated it in the email and you're, like, giving feedback to that same thing that the other person hated, I think seeing that I hated it really, really uh, shapes the other person's uh, feedback, you know? Like, ju- if they're like, I love it, and then they read that, they're like, okay, well, it's okay. I think, I think, I think it probably either way, it's gonna, I think I love it probably doesn't affect you as much as I hated it. I think when you see I hated it, then suddenly you start to see things maybe you didn't see before, or if any doubts you might have had, or like things that you didn't really like, maybe that gets amplified, you know? Um, so I'm glad that now not everyone else saw that same thing. So hopefully when I get their responses later today that, um, I'll get some different responses. Um, but, uh, but it's funny because it's way more in line with like what I had originally imagined, but also very different too. Cause it's more like a, it's like a drive style soundtrack, you know, like very synthy and stuff. But, uh, I like it a lot. I mean, I think it's definitely better than what we had before and so much closer to what I wanted than what originally existed in there. Um, but I think for the, the sound designer, I think he imagined something more similar to the temp music, but, but that was all wrong for me. So I think it's better that we, that I, that he listened to this and like understand that this is far closer to what I wanted. And maybe now we can either work with this composer to sort of make it work or we have like two other composers that we've been talking to and then maybe we can see what they, what they can deliver, you know? Right. Um, but yeah. I, well, I hope you figure it out. I, but my advice to you would be, don't worry about making everyone else happy. Yeah. Do what feels right to you and stick to stick to your guns and and make the movie you want to make because at the end of the day if everyone loves your movie but it's not the movie that you really wanted to make then who cares. Right. Wouldn't you I I would rather make the movie that I wanted to make and everyone hates it than make a movie that I think is not what I want and then everyone loves it. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's already arguments to be had for both sides of that, but it just seems like you're going to be unhappy either way. I would rather be unhappy knowing that like I'd made the decisions that I wanted to make and I was bold and I just like, I went after it even though everyone else was telling me no. Cause I think you'll learn more from that. Yeah. If you, uh, otherwise you'll, I think you're going to second guess yourself e- on either side of that equation, but I would rather second guess like what audiences why audiences aren't resonating with it rather than like why are audiences resonating with something that I don't think is that good yeah yeah I don't know it's interesting I I've, I made a comp- compromise on brother that I don't know if I talked about on the show but basically this is a completely change the subject but if you've seen the movie there's a shot there's a scene where they're eating lunch and uh, they're like you know basically the two uh, 
the brother and sister are eating a lot and the and the the main the Luke character is like not eating anything and i originally had a super close up shot of uh of chris just piling food into his mouth uh, the capone character and i thought it was really cool cuz it was like another hint to like what was going to what was coming later and it was like a a really like kind of clear shot that like of what's going on and like right now it's super subtle and I took it out because the producer was like, that's disgusting. Like, you cannot put that on there. Like, because it's like basically like his whole head takes up the frame and it's like his mouth, like just shoving pasta and sauce into his mouth. And right. I think it's really a great shot and it is disgusting, but I think that's okay that it's disgusting. But, but you know, the producer is just like, A, that's just not pleasant to look at. You're going to freak out the audience and it's just not nice. And then you're not, then he's not going to like it. It's not flattering. Like he's going to really not like that shot. So that was sort of the argument behind taking it out. And I did. Mm -hmm. And like now after seeing it with audiences and, you know, watching it a few more times, I I really feel like I should have just left it in because I think it would have been more powerful. And so what it's disgusting. This, it's not about, this isn't a, you know a glamour piece you know like this is a a movie like there are going to be some you know more disgusting shots in there so uh, well you lost that battle and i think you'll learn from it and the next time a battle like that comes up i think you'll be able to um remember what this was like and you'll probably stick to your guns more because you'll have a a reason and you'll be like yep i know it's disgusting but that's the reason that it's there and I'm, i'm gonna keep it in right right yeah exactly but uh but yeah that's what's going on with me and there's a lot of other stuff too like uh you know had had some really good um fundraising momentum i mean it's not like crazy it's not like i got you know half the budget but it's like more encouraging than than what i guess i was expecting so um yeah, great that's really good and i'll i'll keep you guys posted on how that goes but uh it's that it's, it's like the train is moving you know like i i had like a bunch of meetings this, this week and i feel like yeah, when I get back from Costa Rica, like I'm going to really be able to just keep on pushing this thing forward and, uh, you know, keep on going. Like, and, and the movie's going to be represented at AFM in a small way, you know, which is really nice. So, I mean, it's not like it's going to have a booth or anything, but it'll be there in some form or another. So maybe something will come out of that. Who knows? It's exciting times, man. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's fun. Like, I, I love how you said in a couple podcasts ago, you're like, it's, it's nice that we're like actually doing something now you know or that there's actually something happening with the alternate and it's actually it's not just a script anymore that it's like a script but it's also taking on this new stage and i mean yeah like i haven't like really done anything but i've done enough where it feels like i i'm really am moving moving with it so it's 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 exciting it's fun it sounds to me like you're moving forward with it and you're you're not talking anymore you're doing yeah and i love hearing that so keep going are you gonna work on anything while you're in costa rica well i originally thought that i was gonna um write this this brother feature ten thousand dollar twenty thousand dollars feature and start writing that while i was in costa rica but i haven't finished the revisions uh on the alternate yet um so I don't know. I'll probably work on the alternate revisions. And if I really just get stuck while, while Beth's reading a book on a beach and I just really can't get, get that out, then maybe I'll, I'll jump over and, uh, work on the brother feature a little bit. But Mm -hmm. those are the two projects that I have to work on. And, uh, you know, I'd love, I'd love to say I come back from Costa Rica with a written script, but I don't know. It's a, (laughs) who knows? It's a vacation. Do you, yeah. When I'm on vacation and I tell myself I'm going to do that, it never happens. Yeah. I never have as much free time as I think I'm going to. And by the time I'm on vacation, I'm just like, you know what? I just need a break and you need a break. You need to take a break and you need to like free your mind up and you should just like, enjoy the two weeks you've got yeah and yeah just relax and then you come back refreshed and you can work your ass off yeah totally i think you're right and i mean i I don't know like i think i'll just try to utilize the time i do have you know where either beth's doing something that that i can't that you know that she needs to do on her own or if she's sleeping and i'm up for some reason you know but i think there probably be less of that than i imagine i think it'll be mostly us just hanging out and doing stuff together you know so yeah but that'll be fun i'm, I'm really we'll looking it. forward to it man yeah you deserve it ah thanks man um all right so let's do this topic i i don't know anything about this i i read it in the email you sent me but i almost it's almost <laughs> like i forgot i read it so uh, yeah you even had comments on it when i sent you this so um i just finished this hidden camera shoot and before i accepted this job i 
passed on another one at my agency and I was also offered a job um, from another agency. So over the last like two months, I was kind of offered, I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, I was told about three projects and asked if I wanted to shoot them. And so this just kind of brought up this idea of like, well, which project do you say yes to and which project do you turn down? Like I'm very clear right now that what I want to get on my reel is stuff that mixes performance with visual effects. But unfortunately, all three of these projects, none of them did that. And uh, I, I made a decision like I don't want to sit around and wait for that perfect project. Like I got to take something. I got to do something. I got to like keep exercising my director muscles. So I, you know, even though this hidden camera thing does not fit at all with what I'm trying to do, like it's almost the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do in a lot of ways. Cause like I'm not moving the camera. I'm not even directing a performance uh, a little bit, but not like this, the way that I would like to be. I still did it because I felt like there was some merits in trying something that was like very different from what I've been doing for the last few years. Um, the other projects that I was offered was one was like a political satire and it was um, three or four scripts for a very small amount of money. I was really nervous about the money. I didn't really understand how to make it good and um, a lot of the spot was going to be stock footage and that and and the way that everyone was talking about shooting it was like in a crappy political ad way and i just i wasn't really into the idea of doing a satire it just that's not fun for me i don't like i don't like just ripping off a style and and making fun of it i've done that before and i wasn't really into the comedy of the script so i passed on that one and then the hidden camera shoot actually before the hidden now the hidden camera shoot came next and at that point i i felt like i had just passed on something which was a smart move because i i don't want to say yes to every single thing that's offered to me i wanted to sound like i was picking and choosing right but then the hidden camera thing came and um i would just ask hey you want to help out with this and it was for a nonprofit. so at my work that means that they, they don't have money to hire somebody else. I knew it was a low budget thing, but I felt confident that even at the budget they had, you could pull off a hidden camera stunt for very little money. And I just wanted to do something. So I said yes, like pretty much right away. And I wrote a small treatment and then got the job. Um, and then the third project was from another agency and they had a very small amount of money. I, I really liked the creative, but I didn't think the money was enough. Mm-hmm. And so... I told them how much I thought I could do it for and that and I said let me know if you want me to keep pursuing it and they said well we think we found somebody else that can do it for our cost so I just lost out out on that job just because of money. What what was the third one? It was it was a single 30 second spot and um, it had two locations. One location you could probably get away with natural light. The other location you would need to light it. Um, there was one main actor and then a bunch of extras slash kind of like uh, secondary characters. So I felt like there's a lot of casting to be done and they wanted to just use people at their agency, which made me a little nervous because I want to control those kind of things. But um, yeah, so I think the way that I approached it was like, what do what do I need to? D- and this is kind of the case for everything. It's like, what do I need to do to make this good? And it's like, if I don't think that I can make it good, I don't want to pursue it. Right. Because at this point, like just doing things to do things is probably not a good idea. But uh, choosing projects that I think that I can pull off is probably it can help build relationships, regardless of what the content is. Yeah, it just to me, it's like, you know, I, I look at these numbers and I'm looking at these projects and like, you know, I, I shot Strange Thing for $20,000, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but how many favors did you have to call in and you have to ask crew to work for right, but I mean, really it, cheap rates? I still like, I don't know, like, I just feel like with 20000 like you can pull off a lot. But I mean, I guess there's probably costs in there that you have to spend that I'm not considering. Like, do you have to p- spend stuff 
does, does some of your that money go to your agency? Does some of that money go to like hiring a certain post person or post house or like what? I mean, where is that money going? Because like that's going just to the shoot. That's just for the shoot only. Yeah, man. It's like, I just feel like I could do anything with $20,000. You know? Really? I feel like you have to, like, you have to ask people for favors. And it's like, at what point do I want to, like, pull in favors to shoot a commercial? I feel like people are less willing when they see, like, a brand name on something to work for a low rate. Right. You know? And we had this conversation when I was doing that Cisco job, whereas, like, I was putting in crew rates of, like, $150 a day to, like, make the budget work. Yes. And, and then they're like... You told me that was stupid. I had a, several other producers tell me that was stupid. And so then we ended up reworking the budget to like pay people what we what we yeah, could afford to pay them and we didn't have to ask for like really huge favors. And that's just kind of like the nature of commercials, I think. They cost more money because they're not personal projects and it's harder to like convince somebody to like work for next to nothing for a big brand. Right. Yeah, I I so I remember that commercial like having the same reaction when you told me the the budget. I was like, no problem. And then Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> and then when we lo- looked at the numbers together a little more deeper, I was like, "Oh, I see what you're saying here. Like I can I can see where this could be difficult, but I could totally I was like I could still totally make this work, but I, you know, I just wasn't available. I guess I probably, I'm always going to say that. Like if I see $20,000, $10,000, $15,000, I'll just be like, yeah, we could do that. But, uh, but then I look at the numbers a little closer Then maybe, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, there'll be some challenges that appear, you know, but I still think like I, if I were you in that situation, I probably would have gone for, I really probably would have pushed for project C. Like if I liked the, the, the creative a lot, and, uh, you know, something new. And, and for me, I think the value of working with a new agency is probably pretty high. Like, cause like a mm-hmm. lot of the work that you've done has been for your agency. So I think like expanding your, 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 you know, your network in that way and like getting in with another agency that, and like really wowing them as a director. I think there's a lot of value in that, you know? So I, I don't know. I probably would have gone in that way, but, um, yeah, I, I guess for me that, that last project was scary because I didn't know I didn't want to say yes to it because I didn't have like a strong feeling that I could nail it like I liked it I liked it but I wasn't like oh shit this is so me I felt that way when I saw that Cisco project where I was like oh shit this is like perfect or like the Sweetos thing with the the candy animals but that one is like this is really good but I didn't I didn't see it in my head where it's like oh man I'm gonna totally knock this out of the park and I don't want to put myself in the situation where I don't have enough money and I don't have the right resources to pull off something that I'm already just kind of like I don't really know exactly how I'm going to do this yeah but I did have that that thought where it's like all right this could be the opportunity should I just like go all in on this and just no matter and and just say I can do it even if I don't know if I can and then I decided you know what I'm just going to be honest and I'm just going to tell them how much I think it's going to cost and best case scenario is they come up with some more money and then I feel more comfortable or worst case scenario is they pass on me and at at least they know that I was willing to play ball and I'm not like that much out of their range that hopefully they'll come back what what was uh what was the number that you had to that you were going to reach with them in order to make it work um I was like a few thousand more than what they wanted to spend only a few thousand yeah it wasn't a lot but it was just it was enough that I was like I don't know how to even pull money out of this at this point and until I can talk to somebody so I told them like here's where I'm at me just throwing numbers on uh, against it if you think that this is doable then let me reach out to some of my production partners and see what we can do like I I'm not I'm not an expert in the production field so let me like find somebody that is and make sure that we can do this yeah you should uh if so would you hire a producer in that situation or would you yeah uh, yeah either yeah either hire a producer or hire a production company i think at that time i was thinking production partner but i think it's at that level that budget it's probably better just to hire a producer and pay them a day rate rather than have a production company like dip their beak in it call me bro um, All right. I, I didn't know you were interested because the am, last time yeah, I am into, you got scared. I, I'm more interested now, I think, than I was back okay. then because um, I, 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 I've started to really enjoy producing, um, even if, you know, it's just a commercial piece. Like, I think I, 
I've kind of missed the ones that I was doing a few years ago. Like I did like six or something in like a couple years. Um, yeah. And they were like all within the, the five to $35,000 range. Um, but, uh, you know, I was really excited about the, like I, I bid a couple hundred thousand dollar ones with that company, um, that we didn't get, but, uh, I would have really loved to, to spread my wings and go bigger, you know? Okay, cool. Well, yeah, if you're down, I'll definitely call you and we'll try to make it work. Yeah, man. Cause like, I think, you know, like, I think I might be able to be more scrappy, um, than a lot of oh, the, yeah. the producers that you probably would work out, reach, reach out to, you know, and that like I could, I mean, I wouldn't be asking favors, but like, I just think I know people who would be down to do it at like a more conservative rates than maybe some other people, you know, who, yeah. who you know, who are in the same area. Um, but I mean, it definitely would be certain, certain, certain roles that would work for that and certain roles that wouldn't, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd love to do it. And I think I'm, I'm looking to do more different things with different companies and sort of like, you know, go to bigger projects as a freelancer and work with different companies and different people. So, you know, if you ever have an opportunity like that, um, you know, sign me up, man. Okay, cool. Well, it sounds like there's more and more of them. It was cool to have like three things offered to me in the past few months. Like that, that's a lot. Yeah, that's cool. That's a lot more than it has been. But I, I did question like because all these things were like not in my wheelhouse or not the kind of things that I wanted to do. I just, I don't know. Part of me is like, should I have even taken anything at all or even pursued any of them? I, or should you I just obviously should stick to my guns. You should have taken one for sure. And I, and I kind of feel it's like it's sort of weird to me that you picked the hidden camera one because <laughs> that seems like the one that right. I, that seems the furthest from what you want to do. You know, like you you don't really want to be a documentary person. You're not really you know like into like reality show style stuff. Like you want to be more cinematic and more, totally, you know, yeah. with working with actors and stuff. And like, you know, the political satire one, I can see why that's not a good fit. Like I definitely see that. And I mean, for myself personally, I w- that's not a fit for me either, you know, but I think in your situation, I guess, I guess when you turned on the first one, you didn't even know the other ones existed though. Right. Like you just turned, turned no, that one. They each came. Yeah. One at a time. Yeah, I I don't know. I man, I kind of feel like you you made the right decision with the political satire one, but I think if you That project never even happened uh, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is like you sometimes you see that and you're like, "Oh man, uh, I'm so glad that I didn't like spend a bunch of time on that." And then it just the client never bought off on it. Yeah. Or then there's other cases where um well, my, my point was like, you know, it's, it's obvious to turn down the political satire one when there's only one, but then it's like, if you're given two choices and you know, you're going to do one of them, oh, then right. it's like, uh-huh. oh, maybe the political satire one would have been the right choice, you know? <laughs> but, um, it sounds like right. you didn't actually really make any really crazy decisions because, you know, you, you picked one that was probably not the most suited, but you did pursue the one that you did, that you really liked. But I, I probably just would have pursued that one harder and not uh, like, you know, Right. I had a decision money. at, I had a decision at that point where it's like they told me what their price was and I could have just said, yeah, I'll do it and then figured it out. And that's how I did the Cisco thing. Like I had no idea if I could pull it off for their budget, but I just said yes. And then I worked my way into that number. Yeah. So yeah, I did have that moment where I was like, uh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Yeah, totally. But you know, I mean, I think it's all, all going to work out. I mean, you obviously have a lot more opportunities coming down the lane and, and you did direct a commercial. So it's like you're moving in the right direction. Um, but it's funny because like, you, you know, like I've never really been in this situation. Like I've never really been offered uh, to direct a bunch <laughs> of things that, uh, you know, didn't really, um, you know, that I had to choose and turn ones down or anything like, you know, I've, I've had that situation as like a, like, uh, I don't even know if as a producer, but maybe as a producer, but more like as a crew member, like I've been offered jobs. It's like, Hey, do you want to come out and like, you know, run sound on this feature for like, you know, like $2,000 for like two weeks of like work or a three weeks of work. And like, you'll live here in like this mansion somewhere in the middle of nowhere ended up turning that that one down just because it was like 
I can't work for so little and like I have a job that they would probably let me go you know and like it was like oh they would like oh yeah you could take the time off but then I would be like you know the money that the job was paying me would be like you know way more than the money that I would get working on this feature in the middle of nowhere you know as a as a boom op which is like not even something I want to do you know like but <laughs> it would have been fun to like be on a movie set you know um, yeah but like things like that I've turned those down but like or like jobs in that sort of vein where it's like it's like weighing the money versus the time and you know usually if it's something where I have to relocate myself like it's really hard for me to to jump on those situations you know uh, just classically for me like that's always been like like something that I've resisted a little bit like either because of you know being in past relationships or just like feeling like I need to like hunker down and, and work a lot you know and like make a lot of money like those kinds of feelings um, but yeah I've yet to been really offered like oh, here's a commercial to direct. Um, do you want to direct it and like say no? Like I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that what, no matter where you're at in your career, I think you have to make some decisions about right. what things you're going to pursue. Opportunities that are in front of you sometimes don't look like what you want. I remember talking to Dayton Ferris who directed Little Miss Sunshine about how like I was frustrated I wasn't directing the kind of stuff that I wanted to make and they they told me that it takes a long time before you're actually directing the kind of stuff that you want to do and I've been lucky like over the past few years I feel like I've been able to direct stuff that's like much more like I want to do but I don't know if I can always count on those opportunities and especially like that visual effects world it just doesn't really happen on the low budget thing right and so I'm like in a place where now like every once in a while something happens at the agency and I, I see a script and I have to decide like do I want to pursue it and if I do I know that the the downside might be that I'm seen as that guy so like I'm now seen as the hidden camera guy. Like already a producer came up to me at the end of the day yesterday. is like, Hey, we have this other hidden camera job that you should look at. I was like, ah, see that that's a problem. Cause now I'm the hidden camera guy. Right. I was like, I don't want to be the hidden camera guy. I wanted to just like try something different and see what, how it was like. But if now the perception at the agency is going to be like, I'm the hidden camera guy, that's going to suck. So it's like, you have to be careful because your perception is going to change depending on the last job that you did. Right. I wish uh, I wish it worked that way with short films. I wish people were like, oh, that was a cool <laughs> know, right? sci-fi horror short. I got this other sci-fi horror short I want you to make for me. Like, oh, yeah, great. It just doesn't work that way. But yeah, I totally, I totally know what you mean. But uh, Yeah, and it's also disheartening that like all three of these jobs came like right after Spirit Machine released. So everyone knew that I had just finished this short film that was like sci-fi fantasy adventure. And, and yet all I'm being considered for it's not it's not their fault because those, those are the scripts that they had at least they considered me but it's just funny that none of them fit into the world that my short film was right yeah I, I think it's really tough you know I think it's it's super hard for commercial directors to, to get started I think you know because I have a friend who's a director and uh, has directed it like I think three three commercials um, for various different um, companies around the Bay Area I think Two of them were for the same company, but, uh, he's like, you know, trying to get more commercial work and like, you know, he has like, you know, like more commercials. Like I don't have any commercials, you know, right? But like, it's like he, to me, it seems like he should be able to get jobs pretty easily, but he's like struggling, right. you know? And it's just like, like he said, he's been bidding on jobs and getting turned down. And like, you know, I think he, he even had a connection at your agency. I don't know who. But uh, he, like, sent th- that person his work, and they were like, oh, yeah, you're kind of like a John Waters-type director. And he was just like, oh, <laughs> God, no. Like, that's, that's like, not what you want to hear <laughs> as a commercial yeah. director. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of interesting, because it's, like, something I've been thinking about recently, like, whether or not I should actually be trying to get commercial jobs and directing mm-hmm. commercials. But, like, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm willing to do what's necessary for me to, to do that. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd have to direct at least one spec or maybe two specs in order to to probably get those kinds of jobs. Like, no one's just going to offer me a commercial directing job, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh I don't, I don't know. I think unless it gets offered, I'm probably not going to, I'm probably not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to, that means it'll probably never happen. Right. You know, maybe, you never know. Maybe not, not yet, you know, maybe later, but, uh, 
Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm just not. I just don't have the energy to like go out and like shoot a BMW spec or shoot a shoot a, right. a Doritos, um, you know, com- like Super Bowl commercial. Like it's just things that I just don't just don't have in me necessarily. I don't know. Maybe this year I'll just do it to piss you off. I'll do the Doritos commercial thing. <laughs> but yeah, so we can have a good episode where I just argue with you about how stupid you're being. Yeah, but I don't. I don't understand. Like, see, like well, the thing that that I'm struggling with when I come, come when it comes to specs is like, okay, so what kind of spec like actually impresses a, a producer like you? Like obviously a Dorito spec probably doesn't, right? Like if you see a Dorito spec commercial that they obviously shot for the for the uh, the Super Bowl commercial thing, that probably doesn't impress you at all, right? Like you're probably like, oh, you just shot a Dorito spec. Who cares? Yeah, because especially since Doritos is our client, like I know that we didn't produce it, so I know it's fake. And I, and a lot of what makes a commercial director good is not just their skills, but also how they handle the agency and client. And if you went off and you made something without an agency or a client, then I wouldn't take you that seriously. So what? So what would like if you? What would make you want to work with a first-time director as a commercial director? Like what would? Well, what would make that happen for you? Um, I don't know if that's anything that I've ever seen. I guess the only time that I've seen it is uh, somebody who's shot a feature film that's famous. Mm. So like, um, is it Tom Hooper? Oh yeah, Tobe Tobe Hooper or Tom Toby Hooper? No, Tom Hooper, the guy who did uh, my King Speech. King Speech, yeah. Is that Tom Hooper? I think so. He he went after um, a career in commercials and all he had on his reel was like clips from his movies and he's been able to get a few things so it's like somebody like that yeah all right well i've missed my plan i'll become famous i'll uh, direct yeah. feature films um you know win the oscars uh and then i'll come to you and be like hey man can you get me <laughs> a, a directing yeah. uh, job then it's a lot easier to make that jump and then there's there's like two spheres of directors that do that there's like the tom hoopers which you know they're just really solid Directors, like good visuals and good performances. But then there's people who have like a very distinct style, like Wes Anderson or Robert Rodriguez, which those directors will demand like a really high price to shoot something. So it's like their, their day rate as a director or their, their rate for like a project would be like hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. just to, just to do it. So they don't do many commercials, but if they do, they get paid a lot. Wow. Cause you're like, you're taking advantage of their style. So it's like, there's very few Wes Anderson commercials out there. Right. But the ones that are, you like, you see it and you know, it's Wes Anderson. And so you're like, you're tapping into his brand. And so that's why it costs so much more money. So if you can like create a brand and then people hire you to, to use that brand, then you can make a lot more money. Right, right. I guess here's the question I'm trying to get at, um, and this is probably partly for me, but mostly just for listeners out there. But like, as a as a filmmaker, or you know, who wants to become a commercial director, uh, who doesn't hasn't really directed any commercials before, what would your recommendation be for them? I only I only know from my experience, like being at the agency like being inside the agency you're able to like get some stuff on your reel because there's always a need to shoot like really cheap stuff i think it's going to be important to put yourself around the commercial industry i think it's going to be really hard to break in from the outside i think a lot of directors in the commercial world used to be like ex-creatives oh yeah at agencies yeah, yeah. so they were creatives first and then they made the jump to directors or they were some other aspect inside like the film industry, you know, like DPs or art directors and then made the jump over to directing. Hmm. So I just feel like you have to kind of like come up through that world and you have to know a lot of people. Mm, interesting. Cause then like half the, half of it too is having people sell you and be like, Oh, you got to check this guy out. Yeah. I mean, just to tell a story and I, uh, my friend who I'm telling the story about probably won't mind, especially since I'm not using his name, but, uh, the way he did it, um, he did a bunch of short films. I mean, his films are like, I don't know. I mean, not to, to, downplay us but I mean he's had way more success than we have like he's played Austin he's played Telluride he's played San Francisco International he's played you know all these huge film festivals across the country you know like big big time and uh you know, he even like submitted to be considered for the Academy Awards a couple years ago because he had like won a film festival that was like Academy, um, you know, qualifier or whatever. So like he's been like 
up there. Um, but I think how he did it, I think he, uh, he just met a producer, um, you know, it was like, Hey, you know, I'm interested in directing commercials. And then they're like, Oh, I know this company that's, uh, trying to do more commercials and looking for directors. I'll connect you. And Ooh. then that's how it happened. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And so, you know, I think I was even there when he met that producer, except <laughs> I was just like not interested in, in going in that direction. You know, right. and obviously I wasn't the one at, at the San Francisco Film Festival with my film either. So, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, yeah, but, uh, but well, I think the other lesson is that there's many different spheres of commercial directing. Like there's commercial directing that happens direct to client where a client just hires a production company and that production company writes scripts and then produces it. And that's like that's an easier world to break into without having connections to the commercial industry. Cause I think you as Bursell productions could set yourself up that way. Right. Yeah. You just have to make those relationships. And then, I mean, those are really low budget. And then there's like a mid range budgets between like a hundred thousand to $500,000 where, um, I think that they're like non-union companies mm-hmm. and like, for instance, like the Perez brothers are, are on the roster of one of those local companies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like those, those companies too, are like, will take like the Perez brothers haven't done any commercial work, but they were, they're on the roster because they've done enough work that that company feels that they can sell them at that price point. But if you want to be like in the big leagues, the stuff that's on TV, I mean, that's a much harder world to play in. You either have to have done something on the smaller level. That's been, that's very recognizable and and people know, or you have to kind of work your way up through like that world. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I I would definitely want to play in the, uh, you know, whatever, like eventually the hundred thousand to whatever, 500,000, like that mid range area. But I think honestly for now, it'd be fun just to make things for a hundred thousand or under, you know, and just like whatever, just do that kind of stuff. Like as a producer and or director or both or one or the other or whatever, you know? And, um, that's part of my plan is like, I did this piece for, for Lyft and Brookdale. Uh, they did like a partnership, um, video and, uh, it's pretty clean. Like it's, it's definitely not like, you know, Oh my God, it's the most amazing video in the whole world. But it's like, it's, su- it's probably like one of the better, like corporate commercial things I've done. Um, so, and it's very like documentary style. It's like a documentary style like peace you know so I'm, I'm probably gonna try to use that to get some more work or get get in the door with some more people when i get back from costa rica i just send it out to all the production companies i know and be like hey look this is what i just did um you know interested in doing more stuff you know and uh, i wore so many different hats on that thing like there was no official director but i think i could probably just call myself the director <laughs> um, no one would challenge you no one would challenge me because there was like to be like hey Ulrich, i was the director <laughs> there was like three agency people from each company you know so there was like a lot of creatives there but um mm-hmm. you know i was the one calling the shots in the end um especially for the documentary because there was we did a, a green screen uh, piece and a documentary piece so yeah. i was definitely like the person for the documentary piece and then i think maybe you know one of the creatives could probably say that they were the director of the of the green screen piece but um you know um but i shot both of them so boo yeah <laughs> <laughs> boo yeah um but yeah one last thing that i want to say about this is i was listening to an interview with dan trachtenberg on the movie crypt uh-huh. and he was talking about how he was really frustrated as a commercial director because he was constantly getting the same types of scripts, which is like lifestyle, um, you know, docu style stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's not what he wanted to do. Like he wanted to do like kind of the visual effects stuff. And so he said that his biggest mistake was for 10 years, he just kept doing over and over and over again, just waiting for the right script to come his way before he decided that the only way he's going to get the kinds of jobs he wanted was to just make them himself, like create his own opportunities, which is why he did the portal film. Mm. And it's the reason I did Spirit Machine, too, is because I was frustrated that I wasn't getting the right opportunity. So anyone out there who's listening that wants like different opportunities and you're, you have coming your way, 
you do have to sometimes just make them yourself and you have to go out and make your own film to prove that you can do it yeah because uh, like especially in the commercial world you get like pigeonholed and if people know you for one thing like they're not going to see you any other way and now it's funny because i think dan trachtenberg's trachtenberg is feeling like he's pigeonholed into like a certain thing because of the portal film and 10 cloverfield lane and it sounds like he might want to like try some other stuff but you know just that's, be that's just goddamn happy, man. Just, yeah, just uh, be happy. Jesus, you always Lord. want something you don't have. That's I think that's the lesson man, in this. Well, you made he made one uh, <laughs> one uh, you know sci-fi horror feature um, or whatever you want to call it, sci-fi thriller. Um, why don't you make ten and then and then you can go do uh, you know driving Miss Daisy or whatever the hell you want to do? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I don't know exactly. I mean, he loves that kind of stuff, but I'm I'm sure he just he wants to play in different genres, like most filmmakers do. You know, like no one wants to be pigeonholed. Everyone wants to have like different opportunities and try different things out. But I think the truth in any industry is that people know you for something and they trust you to pull that thing off and to be trusted to do something different is not always going to happen. I mean, not, it's not, everyone's not going to get the same opportunities that Fede Alvarez got where he went, made a sci-fi short and then was doing like a horror film. Like that's like, that's unique. Yeah. I mean, I, another thing I should say is like, you're going to make your thing, but you're probably going to have to make more than just one of your thing. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I'm, we're, we're not the only uh, sample out there. Like, there's obviously a lot of people who have made their one thing and then just got their success from it. But I think a lot of filmmakers make their one thing and then they realize that didn't get them to stardom. That didn't get them to the, yeah, the level they want to go. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, you he know? actually said that. He says you have to keep making your thing until it catches fire. And it might not just be one thing. Yeah, because, like, you know, I made, um, like, you know, four shorts now. One has, isn't out yet, but uh, I have yet to catch fire. And people have yet to, like, think of me anything more than just... Uh, I don't know, like the guy who makes films, that filmmaker who's just <laughs> making some crazy ass movies over there, you know? Right. Like, yeah, I think you just ha- you can't get discouraged because it's it might take some people longer than others, and you just got to keep going at it, and you have to keep making the kind of stuff that you want to make. And if it's not coming your way through paid jobs, then you have to do it your on your own, and yeah, just keep doing it until something catches fire. But I think if there's anything we've learned from the show and talking to other guests that you know finding that fire is not easy and like we hear all these great stories about people who who caught fire so quickly and that's all that's our dream is everyone dreams that they're gonna win the lottery and it's gonna happen so fast but it just might not so don't give up yeah don't give up and uh just keep on making stuff and i mean i think that's like a what you just said is like a reminder to me just to like <laughs> you know not not be because like talking about these these people like you can't you can't talk about dan trachtenberg or talk about even you like directing commercials inside your agency and just think that like oh i'm not i'm not doing enough i'm not i'm not growing enough i'm not you know moving fast enough forward but i think you have to realize that you know everybody has their own opportunities you know and i think Mm -hmm. you're probably more closer to a dan trachtenberg because you're in the commercial world you're directing commercials you know and you know you're doing this stuff on the side so maybe spirit machine or maybe your next thing will help you catch to that level you know and, and get the opportunities that yeah. Somebody like Trachtenberg has. I don't think it's Spirit Machine, but there will be something else. You never you never know. I feel like I mean I do know. I see I don't know. You haven't even put out into <laughs> you haven't even put out into the world yet, you know? Like yeah. I think I, I've you know, I wrote Strange Thing off like years ago. It was just like, Oh, it, got, it did pretty good. It got like twenty five thousand hits or thirty thirty thousand hits or whatever, and then suddenly it had fifty thousand hits, then it had uh, you know, sixty thousand hits, now it has a hundred thousand hits and like, you know, I feel like my movies, who knows, like maybe that one of those will be the thing that someone sees at some point. <laughs> it's a- true. And then that's the thing that gets me my next thing, even though it didn't happen right when I released it, but maybe it'll happen years later. Like maybe Brother will one day blow up and be a, b- a bigger deal than Strange Thing. It doesn't right. feel like that that way now, but you know, <laughs> who knows, you know? So I just feel like you just get to keep on moving. And, and I think, you know, who said this to me? Someone, I think, Capone said this to me. I think he said, he said like, you only, you only quit, you only lose when you quit or you only, mm-hmm. yeah, you only, yeah, you only lose when you quit. So as long as you don't quit, you're never going to lose. 
I think someone else said that too, <laughs> but, uh, but that's a, that sounds great. That's a good one. I like that. So don't, don't ever quit and then you'll never lose. You'll always be, you know, ready to win. So, yeah. So the thing I want to share this week, and I've talked about this before on the podcast is the Raiders of the Lost Ark story conference transcript. Mm. It was, it's the, um, Spielberg, Lucas, and Lawrence Kasdan sitting in a room talking about the story for Raiders of the Lost Ark, like hashing it out and trying to figure it out. And it's recorded over the course of four days in January of 1978. And it's just such a fascinating document. And it makes me respect George Lucas so much because he has so many ideas and he's like, seems like such a smart storyteller. I think his only detriment, he has, he has too many ideas and I think he doesn't know how to pick and choose between all of them. Mm. But he's the one that does most of the talking. And then it's funny, like Spielberg will jump in and he'll try to make things funnier. He'll always like throw in like a little scene. It's like, oh, it would be funny if this happened. And then Kazan's just like sitting there trying to figure out like what they're talking about and trying to understand (laughs) it because he has to like then put it on paper. Uh, He's like, wait, I don't understand. Like, how does that work again? Well, that's really funny. Yeah, it's such a cool document. I've always, I've known about it for a long time and I talked about it on the show. I never read through the whole thing, but now I'm reading through the whole thing and I'm about three fourths of the way through and I just find it so fascinating to see that there's all these ideas and somehow through all these ideas that they got they sorted through them and came up with the movie that we all love and it's hard to say like who's in charge of coming up with that story because they all had bits and pieces that they contributed yeah yeah that's cool man that's not, I should I should watch that that sounds like a, a really interesting thing you have to read it I can't watch it no, I don't think there's. Damn a, it. I don't think well, it's, I won't. it's based off of audio tapes, but I don't know if the audio tapes are available to listen to. Well, I won't. That's the other I thing that's like hard is that it's a PDF of like the transcript, but um, it sounds like they're so smart and they're coming up with ideas so fast. But it'd be interesting to hear the tapes to see how much silence there is in between some of the the lines that they say and like really how fast it comes up. But when you're reading it, it sounds like they're just coming up with ideas so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I mean, I, I think I'd probably actually, I won't read it. I'll tell you right now. I'm not going to read it, but, um, <laughs> but if, if it was in a, a podcast form, like an audio form, I would listen to it. Cause that, that sounds great. And I love, I love hearing the voices of filmmakers, you know, and, and artists, because I just feel like you hear so much in their voice, you know, especially like legends and great like that like they just it's so interesting to hear what they have to say and how they say it you know especially if it's like from you know way back then it's just you know really fascinating yeah i had no idea that they were writing that movie so early because that that movie came out in like 83 i want to say something like that yeah early 80s yeah so it's like it's spielberg like right after jaws like that's the only thing he had that he was of note for. So they talk about Jaws a little bit, but it's funny that like Spielberg was chosen to direct that movie at that time because yeah. he, hadn't, he hadn't done a lot. And then uh, I guess there was another director attached to that movie ahead of time or before then, uh, Philip Kaufman, I think his name oh. is. He did the right stuff. Oh, yeah. So, and he's the one who came up with the whole idea of the Ark of the Covenant. So him and George Lucas had been working on the story for a while. And then he bailed and Luke, cause he had another movie and Lucas said, do you mind if I have Spielberg do this? And he said, yeah, go ahead. So then Lucas brought this whole story. So that's why he knows a lot about it. Cause he's already been working on it and he's in this meeting and he's like telling them the story and Spielberg's like throwing his two cents in and Kasdan's throwing his two cents in and they're all like figuring it out together. Mm, it's really fun. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I saw, um, Philip Kaufman speak, uh, a couple years ago and he talked a little bit about that, but he was mostly talking about some other stuff, but, uh, it was interesting to be like, wow, that's one of the guys who is responsible for Raiders. That's pretty amazing. He has a story credit on that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't have anything to share this week. Oh, but I do. I, I, first I was going to say, I don't have anything. (laughs) I don't know if I ever shared this with, with the listeners yet. Uh, but it's, it it just hearing you talk about, um, you know, hearing this old, um, you know, sort of relic or reading it about, you know, the making of this movie or whatever, it just made me think of this other, um, completely different, um, you know, sort of documentary piece that, I mean, it's just really, really fascinating. I probably talked about it on the show, but I'm gonna talk about it again anyways. It's, um, can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's by HBO and it was, uh, uh, Chris Rock, Ricky Gervais, Louis C.K. and, um, Jerry Seinfeld all sitting around and just talking about comedy for an hour. Oh, wow. And that sounds amazing. It's just, it's really interesting because like they, they all kind of know each other. 
And, uh, you know, and some of them know each other way better than others, you know, but, uh, you know, they're all working comedians and they're, they're just all talking about their craft and how they approach jokes, how they approach doing a set, like what drives them about to, to be comedians, like what they love about comedy, all this stuff. And it's just a really amazing, like one hour conversation. And I've probably seen it like two or three times now, just because every time I, I get down about being a creative or like, you know, oh, whatever, it's just, it's so sort of sometimes helps me get re like rejuvenated and excited again. Cause it's like, wow, these guys came from nothing. Like they just went out and they did, they, they did their dream. They didn't give up and they, and now look at them, you know, and they, and they really focused on craft. Like they're just craftsmen about their comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that, that relates to filmmaking. Cause it's like, you know, it's all about the craft and like what you see about filmmaking and like how you like to tell a story and everything. And yeah, you know, you can't go up on stage, you know, at an open mic and just start doing it and then grow and grow and grow <laughs> and start and eventually get paid. But I mean, I feel like if you make movies and just keep on making movies and doing it and doing it and doing it, maybe you can get to that level too. So I don't well, know. I, have, I think the other interesting thing about comedy is that no one has ever gone on stage the first time and killed. Right. You know, it's like it takes years and years and years. And I've heard a lot of those same guys that you're talking about say that like every year that you're comedian is like a year of of being alive. So it's like if you've only been doing comedy for one year, you're like a one year old doing comedy for five years. You're like a five year old. So it takes like 20 years before comedians get really, really good at what they do. Yeah, that's interesting. And so it's like a lot of those guys that were really young when they became famous had started doing comedy when they were like 15 or 16. Right, right. So it just, it's like that 10,000 hour rule. Like you just, it takes a long time. So don't get discouraged when your first movie is not a success because it's just going to, it's going to take time to figure it out. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're not going to be good. You're not going to be great the first time out and you just have to keep learning. Yeah, we're both like what, like four deep or something. Something or, or something in, in our movies, you know, like and yeah. we haven't made it yet. So <laughs> no, yeah, I'm like, like five five deep plus all the stuff I made in film school plus all the stuff that I yeah. directed for the agency. Yeah, yeah, and I have so much more to learn. Yeah, that's not counting any of the stuff I did in high school, college, <laughs> or or even right. after college. In between, when I before. My, Basically, I count Strange Thing and maybe the Naturally Gifted After Athletes documentary as those are like the first real things I did. And everything before that doesn't really count, you know? Yeah, I know. It's funny. I have like a cutoff too where like in my brain, like that's like where things really started for me. Uh, up until that point, is all kind of like accidents or, you know, I wasn't really that focused. I didn't really know what I was doing. Still struggling. Right. Or you thought you knew what you're doing, but you actually didn't know what you're doing at all. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, anything else to say? Anything else to add? Nope. Enjoy your vacation. Thanks, man. Yeah. I really, I want you to relax oh. and come back refreshed. Oh, I will. What's funny, though, is that people are going to be hearing this, what, like either the week I get back or... Um... Right. Ulrich will be gone for two weeks, but for everyone listening to this, he will not be gone at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> We've recorded a bunch of episodes <laughs> and they're all in the can yeah. and Ulrich will be back the following Monday after you hear this. Yeah, exactly. Like the the first, the I, th- I don't even think I mentioned it in any, any of the other episodes. Maybe I did. I was going to say like, oh, I'll be on a beach right now when you're listening to this, but uh, <laughs> I didn't actually say that. But uh, oh, well, yeah, I'll be there anyways, even if they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode and all the other episodes. If you want to get into contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And, you know, if you have a topic suggestion, a question you want answered, anything at all, send it on over and we'll answer it on the show. I, I wish we had more questions from, from um, you know, listeners. I think that would yeah, be more fun. Yeah, you're right. We haven't been inviting people to send us questions. That's probably why. Oh, really? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, we, need to, we need to revise our outro. Uh, I feel like it's getting stale. <laughs> I also feel like we need to have more listeners to, to send us more questions. But maybe, I don't know, if everyone out there just sends us questions, maybe we'll have enough questions. I don't know. Maybe they don't want to ask us questions. They just want to hear what crazy thing we're going to decide to talk about the next week. Maybe they're like, hey, man, don't try to get me to do your show for you, man. <laughs> like, you're doing your show. I just want to listen to it. Leave me out of it. Stop asking me to send you stupid questions. Um, yeah. All right. Or you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH podcast mmih podcast 
And please, if you like the show, tell a friend, help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You could tweet about us. You could Facebook about us. You could tell all the editors of all the publications that you know to write stories about us. Um, I think that's... That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, we should be doing that. We don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't. I think we, yeah, we yeah. sent like six emails between us or maybe eight emails between us to like different people telling them about the show. We are terrible at promoting our own show. Yeah, we can promote our movies okay, but our show, forget about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so thanks, Timothy, for an amazing episode and amazing line of episodes. I am excited to hear what people have to say about them. And um, yeah. yeah, I'll talk to you in two weeks, I guess. Dude, enjoy. We'll, See ya. We'll do, man. Later.